This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. Consider becoming a Drama Victoria member today. We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. We record on the land of the Wurundjeri Wilum people. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. You are listening to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman, and today we are speaking with Cecily Stovall. Cecily Stovall is a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant and strategist. She is also the equity and inclusion manager at Malthouse Theatre. Cecily talks about the contemporary casting landscape and gives some advice to people working in schools. Without any further ado, I bring you Cecily Stovall. Welcome to the podcast, Cecily. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us again and having a conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Malthouse as equity and inclusion manager and why roles like this are so important in theatres in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, with Malthouse in particular, um, it actually started off as part of the consultancy. So the organization that I run, State of Change, does consultancies for arts organizations around Australia. And um, it was a really great process with Malt House. And at the end of it, they recognized that there was more need for the work um, to be done. They needed someone who could help facilitate some of the work that they had, that the plans that they had laid out. So um, it's it's really exciting. This is sort of the, the pinnacle of what I, I love to do, um, you know, helping an organization figure out how they can implement equity and inclusion into their work and then them realizing we actually are so committed to this. We need to create a whole role to do to do this work. So um, definitely, definitely really proud to be at Mollenhouse and proud of the work that we're doing together. But I think in general, um, this work is important because for most theaters, particularly here in Australia, it's not its not a lens that we've ever really laid over the practices um, and the policies and the procedures of what we're doing. Um, I think in general, theatre people want to be fair and they want to create access and they want to do all of the right things. But um, what we've seen, particularly in the last, probably since we've spoken in the last two or three years, is that there really is a far way to go in terms of equity and inclusion and um, creating policies that support the desire for diversities that so many theaters have. And you, you probably get unique insight into how far we have to go in this space. So- yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely insight and um, it's, it's just, it's just, it, it's always evolving. So, you know, I feel like maybe four or five years ago, the idea was, well, let's just diversify the stages. Let's just put people who are different, either ethnically or gender or, um, you know, ability or, you know, neurodiversity, let's just put them on the stage. But we didn't really have the infrastructure to support the needs of the individuals and the the human experience that we were asking people to bring to their work. So this, this next layer is about finding ways to not only create access, but to include people and, and who they are as individuals and how do we create a space that allows for all humans to give their best experience? How do we create space for risk-taking that is you know, in the confines of people's own personal boundaries? That's what the work is really about now. Wow, okay, fascinating. Uh, 
we, we have spoken previously on the topic of diversity and authentic casting. Can you describe what diverse and authentic casting is or are? Sure, I can talk about that. Uh, I think when we're talking about diverse and authentic casting, we're really talking about creating a story or, or finding ways to tell a story that deviate from what the status quo or a, a um, the tra traditional, and I use that term, you know, with air quotes, um, the traditional casting would be. Um, what that means is really that we're allowing the storytellers to create the story based on their identity, based on who they are. And we're not looking for stories that are um, cast in the same way that they've either done, been done in the past or in the same ways that even they're being done um, you know, somewhere else or in another market, um, we're really creating and telling stories based on the humans who, who are there and not trying to retell a story that someone else has already done. Um, I think diverse casting is sort of a, um, a pretty loaded term, I guess. Um, casting in itself shouldn't be considered diverse. We shouldn't necessarily need to say that um, you know, by choosing someone who is a different ethnicity or, um, you know, if the role is ambiguous, if it doesn't have a, an ethnicity to it by casting someone who is not white, we shouldn't say that that makes it diverse. Um, there's lots of things that make people in the human experience diverse. I think we should be inclusive with our casting. And I think, you know, maybe leading away from the ideas of colorblind casting and really leaning in towards inclusive and, and conscious casting is where I'd, I'd love to see our industry head. Inclusive and conscious casting. Uh, are you able to give us a little bit more background on those, a little, a little bit more into what, what those terms mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we actually talked the last time maybe a bit about the idea of, you know, what, what does it mean to, to have color conscious casting? And I think that means casting where you identify the, the best human for the role and then you try to create the given circumstances based on that identity that that human is bringing in. So instead of saying, I don't care, I'm just going to cast the best person for the role. And let's say you cast someone, you know, a, a mother and daughter and they are Asian and Hispanic. Um, instead of saying, I'm blind to it, anybody can play anybody. Well, then let's dig deep and figure out how those relationships happen. You know, is there, um, you know, is there, what is the relationship? How do those two people experience their, you know, their connection within the story and allow their actual identities to inform parts of the story? It doesn't mean you have to change the script. It doesn't mean that you have to tell the audience everything that you're thinking, but to really allow, um, those human beings to bring their own personal experience and their own lived experience and their backgrounds into the characters they're playing, as opposed to saying, okay, you bring this identity and you bring this identity, but I don't want you to think about who you really are. I want you to just pretend to be these people, uh, you know, this family or this unit or this have this relationship um, without acknowledging who you really are. What I think conscious casting does is say, we are conscious, we are aware, we realize that there is something here. So we are going to include anyone. Anyone can be a part of this story. But once we've got the, the storytellers, now we have to make a conscious decision to decide how your experience, how your background informs the story. Wow, absolutely great. And that um, goes a fair way to answer or look at the, the next question, which is how schools and directors and students and teachers wrap their heads around this contemporary mix of, of blind casting, which I, I know here is, 
is probably an inappropriate term and authentic casting because the idea of blind casting being you don't see you know the people in front of you, you just go for the most talented person in the room as you said and authentic casting being you try to find someone that you know authentically matches what the playwright intended for that character and they appear to be um contradictory but your explanation of that seems to give answer to that that you're actually not looking at these things in the same way yeah i mean i think you know it's Obviously, in the educational setting, everyone will have their own opinions about what you can and can't do and what you should and shouldn't do. Um, my personal opinion is that if you're going to choose to tell a story where race or ethnicity or ability or neurodiversity is clearly written into the script, um, then I think it's just really important that you understand why you're doing that. Why are you using that piece of material? Um, and, and what is it that's so important to teach the students about, about that experience? Um, in, in, in those instances, I think, you know, the idea of blind casting, to use that term, or, you know, by just, you know, saying anybody and everybody can play the role, I actually do think we do a little bit of disservice to the storytelling um, because it is sometimes really important that we're understanding how to be empathetic to the experience and how to learn about the experience of people without trying to assume that we know it or assume that, um, you know, I've had a hardship in this part of my life, so I can definitely play someone who's had this hardship. Um, I think it's really important that we critically reflect both for young people and, you know, as adults and professionals in the sector um, about how these, how the experiences do affect and do differ from our own lived experiences. Um, if you can't have quote unquote authentic casting, if we can't find someone who really fits in those, those um, into the, the, the scripted backgrounds of the characters, then I think it's really important that we're from an educational standpoint, really studying what that experience is and trying to get a great grasp of, of what that reality meant to those characters. Yeah, and that can be really complicated and in an you know, educational setting and with maturity levels being different from directors to teachers to students and everything in between, that can obviously be a huge challenge. Sure. I think it, I think it's a huge challenge, but um, the, the beauty in it, I guess, the, the flip side of it is finding ways that we can create a student body, a, you know, young people who are learning how to recognize that sometimes their own experience isn't the center, isn't the norm. And I think when we, um, you know, instead of talking about um, whether someone can or can't play something, you know, it's important to understand your own perspective and for the students to understand who they are so that then they can really understand what parts of their experience either connect with or don't connect with these characters. Um, when, you know, when you're playing someone who is uh, you know, from a, a marginalized background or someone who, you know, has had hardships that are different from your own. It's really a beautiful thing, I think, actually, to teach young people that they're, what they know as the norm, what they know as the status quo, what they know as is life as normal, isn't that way for other people. And sometimes that might, you know, be really evident in a character and understanding that difference in the character actually might inform their ability to understand that inhumanity. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely celebrate the work that the teachers are doing, the educators, drama educators, um, you know, definitely they have, they have in their hands the power to really create some empathetic and loving and kind and generous human beings who 
who are able to see characters really as who they are and not just you know colorblind and not seeing the identity of these characters these people these you know whether they be characters or or people who they're working with yeah great um it is wonderful to talk to someone who has thought so deeply about this topic and hearing your perspective because um yeah i think uh, the, the the trickle down effect of that i think has even got you know the way that i think about it and consider it which i think is worth maybe vocalizing is that you know you want to cast authentically with people that have those experiences but you also want to provide opportunities for you know, everyone to play every role you know as possible and to be empathetic and to step into other people's shoes but you also don't want to be you know give the appearance of of, of racism or a lack of respect or you don't want people to feel like their experiences have been marginalized by you know a young person attempting to to bring them to life so i think as a, as a teacher in that space it's i have found it uh, discombobulating but it's great hearing it uh, from your perspective as well so thank you sure yeah you know like I know this is kind of off topic, but it actually is really a really fine line. You know, if you imagine that you are studying a, a work, let's say by Aboriginal authors or, you know, a, a, a work that highlights the experience of First Nations Australians, and you have one student in the class who identifies as Aboriginal and you've got 29 students who are trying to read and replicate and, and you know, authentically recreate that experience. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that's a comfortable place for that one student. And I certainly, you know, read and understand what the black American experience is like. And then, you know, talking about it and everyone saying what they think it was like and hearing people say, oh, probably isn't that bad. And, you know, this is cool. And, you know, trying to decide for me what my life is like. But the flip side of that is you also, I don't want to be, you know, singled out and have to tell everyone in the classroom everything that they should think about the Black experience based on my experience. So it's certainly a fine line and um, there's there's not an easy answer. Although I will say, Elbilgery Theatre Company has a wonderful resource about teaching, um, it's specifically about teaching Aboriginal texts in the, in the classroom, but I think it absolutely applies to so many things. Absolutely. We've had a, an interview about that document before teaching First Nations content and concepts in the classroom. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful document and really can assist teachers around Australia in approaching and using First Nations text and, and characters and stories. I absolutely endorse that 100% not prearranged in, in advance was it Cecily <laughs> no not at all <laughs> no it's it's brilliant there's also that strange pressure to to find shows that um that do reflect potentially the nationality or the identity of of the students in your class but then you you don't want to force that that one first nations um student to have to play the one character that uh, you know that is is Aboriginal. Um, you want to be able to provide them opportunities to play to play any character, but then you can't do that show um, if they don't play that character. Uh, so I think that can also be um, tricky to navigate. You wouldn't happen to have any advice in that space, would you? I guess my my response to that would probably be that's a great play for you to read in the classroom, but probably not one to perform. Um, probably not. You know, if if you have one. Aboriginal student and you know that they're going to have to play the one role 
um, there's no question about it. You know that you can't put someone else in the role and have them play something else, then maybe we find another show. Um, but I think it's important to study and read and understand the text. I don't think that learning the material should go by the wayside, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's not fair if all of the other students have 30 roles to choose from, but this person only has one. Um, I don't really think that's an equitable way of, of choosing, choosing a show or selecting a show, even though you may feel like you're trying to be inclusive. Um, I think that's why, you know, equity and inclusion have to go hand in hand. If you, you know, only give equity and not inclusion or only have access, but not belonging, you know, these, these, these buzzwords, if you will, um, the thing that's so important about them is that they can't go by themselves. You can't have one without the other. Fantastic point. Thank you very much. Eye-opening for me. Thank you. So uh, recently, Sir Cameron McIntosh was recently quoted calling the casting of transgendered people in classic musicals a gimmick or gimmick casting. This kind of, and he was also highlighting the great new works that celebrate and include transgender people and highlighting how proud he was to produce a number of musicals with diverse casts, such as Hamilton. Um, a transgender woman is a woman, so unless their birth or assigned gender is publicised, this wouldn't be a gimmick. I mean, it would just be casting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, going back to what we were saying before, absolutely, this of a transgender woman is a woman. So we are casting a woman in this show. However, depending on that actor and their identity and how they how they feel, how they create their character, their being transgender may inform their character choices. It might inform who they are. So I think if you're going to cast this person, um, Absolutely, they're a woman. Treat them like a woman. Uh, you know, uh, they're a woman. But if parts of their identity are important to them and part, important to bring to that character, you know, if that means that the character wants to be a transgender woman, great. If the character wants to be a woman, uh, you know, a, a cisgender woman, also great. But I think it's important that we're bringing people's identity or giving space for people's identity and experience to also find the, find you know the nuance in the character in the same way I think if you cast someone who uh you know is I'm trying to think of a, a ridiculous example um you know you cast someone who is a blonde and they used to be a brunette but they're blonde now and you you decide that you're going to put them in a brown wig that's great but if there are parts of their identity that are really important to their blondness then they're allowed to bring that into the character that's a really bad example some of my analogies are great that one was <laughs> I got but, it though it works it works but I mean you know it's 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 important that you know, we're empowering actors and artists and designers and directors to bring all of the parts that make them such interesting humans into the work that they do. And I think that's why it's so important, another tangent, but I think that's why it's so important to encourage young people who are interested in theater and interested in the arts, go find something else you love too. Go, go become, you know, learn about coding or become a film critic or, you know, you know, at your, your own age, or, you know, um, have a passion in riding scooters. I don't know whatever, whatever it might be, but all of these things that you love and that, that make you, you actually can inform the characters that you'll ultimately play or the, the work that you'll direct or the things that you'll write, learning about more and understanding more and becoming more unique people actually only benefits your work. And in the same way that we would want 
a Hollywood actor to be able to tap into something about his background to connect to the character that he's bringing to life. We too want to allow all people of all backgrounds and all experiences to bring that same thing into the characters because the most exciting characters are not one dimensional, they're multidimensional. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, this concept that Cameron McIntosh discussed, you know, has a level of complexity to it. Do you think casting can actually damage a show? I think the most damaging casting I've seen to, to shows actually is not, not in this way. It's actually the other way. I think it's actually where, um, you know, not, not so specifically in the educational setting, but I think, you know, assuming that, someone who looks like XYZ can play it even if they're not really it. Um, I think we're seeing that quite a bit, you know, in the, in the professional arena that um, <clears throat> shows that are cast completely, you know, a, a show list comes out and it's 99% white. I think that damages a show before the show even gets on his feet. I think not doing the work to find the right people for the company damages a show. We've, we've seen, you know, in the last year, things get closed before they even got started um, based on people feeling like they didn't get the casting right. So I, I would actually venture to say that it's very rare that being inclusive damages the show. It's actually the other where I think the casting in itself um, can be damaging for shows. Hairspray done without a diverse cast likely would damage its message. And the same could be said for Dreamgirls and The Color Purple. Can, you know, what I will no longer call colorblind casting or genderblind casting damage a show? I think this is, you know, my personal opinion. I think now we, we've now come far enough that I don't personally believe you should be doing Hairspray without a diverse cast. I mean, there are so many other works we can do, so many other musicals that students will get excited about and will sell tickets and can can give a great message that I think a show like Hairspray probably shouldn't be done anymore without a diverse cast. Um, yeah, I think I the writers have said that too. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I think Dream Girls in Color Purple, Eek, I really hope no one has been doing those with a non-diverse cast. Uh, th- those, are, those are stories that are so so much about the the ethnicity and the background and the experience of of those characters, particularly the women in those, those shows. And um, I just, I just don't think there's any possible way you could do those shows without, um, without, without the cast and without a company, not to say that they're not important to study, not to say that, you know, not only the experience of the characters, but study the music study study the staging study the history of the show study you know dream girls and how it didn't get to broadway and and what was happening in in the theater industry in the world in that time and, and you know the fight that that show had for recognition study that don't appropriate it very clear message thank you it sounds like you know cameron mcintosh is trying to say something like that about uh, what he thinks Mary Poppins is that, that he believes Mary Poppins is that is is you know is that for for people that um you know he doesn't believe that a transgender person should play Mary Poppins because that's not the story that the blah 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 is am I missing a, a major point there or, or I mean do you understand I mean, the question I'm asking or is it just I, totally ignorant? No, I take your your question about Mary Poppins, and I think this is again just my opinion, but. Mary Poppins is not about a cisgender woman. Mary Poppins is about 
a wonderful nanny who comes in and changes the lives of the young people that she encounters. And when she's left her magic on the world, she leaves. I don't by any means think that there's anything in that description that requires Mary Poppins to not be a trans woman, to you know, not be a black woman, to not be a woman with disability, to not be a whole lot of things. There's nothing in that story that says that that's what, what she can't be. So for me, I, I find it sad that by casting some woman, someone who is not what we see as the quote unquote status quo, the norm, the traditional casting, somehow that is now called a gimmick. I think it's actually called storytelling. And I think it's actually called bringing a whole different version of this story, uh, you know, uh, of this character to the story. And I think that's, wh that's, why, that's why we do revivals, right? That's why we do shows a million times. That's why this isn't film, this is theater, because we can create a story and tell it in a different way and touch somebody in a different way and, and, and hear the words in a different way. You know, you look at, you know, a, 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 a musical like, you know, Book of Mormon, it was a different, there was a different bit of a message here in Australia than there is in New York, than there is on tour. There's a nuance to the storytelling. Um, I'm sort of a side note, but um, for a class that I'm taking, we watched The Kiss in Phantom. There's this clip of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, something of just this, this 32nd moment of the kiss between uh, the Phantom and Christine. And every version is so different. The story is, so, there's no text, no one's saying anything, but just the way they look at each other, hold each other, touch each other's face. And if we can get a whole different story in that 30 seconds, you can't tell me that it's not worth it to find someone who has a different lived experience to tell a story a different way. I, I think it's always work, worth it. And I think if we're going to call that a gimmick, then all of musical theater is a gimmick. It's all suspended, you know, dis, it's all a suspension of disbelief. It's all giving into something that's not really real and seeing seeing truth in something uh, that that is beyond our reality. So I guess, you know, maybe Gypsy said it best. I guess we all got to get a gimmick. <laughs> your, uh, your, your passion and understanding of this topic is inspiring and infectious. Thank you. I've just got one, one last question to, to help our listeners. So what are some easy ways for high schools to select, cast, or think about the shows they produce with their diverse student cohort or limited cultural diversity? I think when we're thinking about creating and choosing shows and casting shows, it's important to remember that what is done before, what is normally done, what is traditionally done has nothing to do with the project you're doing right now. So if you want to, even using the idea of, you know, a, a blind audition, which, you know, is quite popular in orchestras and things like that. If you wanna use that idea that, we're just going to choose the best person and, and not base it on ethnicity, that's fine. But then I think it's important to then move into that conscious space where you, just, where you remember that it doesn't matter, particularly when we're talking about high schools, that it looks right or that they're the right height or that they're the right whatever, because it's about, it's about teaching young people and teaching the audiences who engage us about the, the the human experience. Um, 
with limited cultural diversity, I think it's still okay. For me, if, if, if it was me teaching, I probably wouldn't choose a text that required a cultural diversity that I didn't have. Because for me, I think there's no reason to appropriate identity. We can actually just allow people to bring their own identity. We can study and understand the history of those identities, but we don't need to try to portray them on stage. Particularly, I think uh, in a high school setting, it's, it's unlikely that we'll get the portrayal right, particularly if there's no connection there to culture and it's probably gonna come up far more on the lines of offensive than it will be on target, which I know is not the goal. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, the actors, the, the, the young people of color, they don't always need to be the grandma or the funny friend. Sometimes they can be the leading, leading man or leading lady too. I think it's important to make sure that um, teachers are checking their own biases and looking at what, what seems natural to them to make sure that they're not um, putting students into pigeonholes based on their diversity or you know the limited bit that they have. I'd rather see a, a production of Carousel that's got five artists or you know um, students who bring a cultural background and the rest of the cast not than to see a production of The Color Purple where you've only got five and everyone else is not and all, all the other people are trying to pretend to be like those five. I think that message is loud and clear and heard. And I just so deeply appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise and your knowledge and your opinions uh, for this episode of The Aside. I have certainly learned a huge amount just in this short conversation. Thank you so much, Cecily Stovall. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So Cecily, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to find out more about this or, or work with you, is a way they can find you or reach out and work with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, our website, Stage a Change, is at stageachange.org. We have workshops coming up in building an inclusive arts practice, um, and details are on our website or on our Instagram page, which is also Stage a Change. Well, I think that's something I'm going to be signing up for. So thank you very much. Great. Can't wait to see you. That is all from us at The Aside. You have just heard that Cecily Stovall is going to be running a workshop on September 17th, and you can find out much more about that by going to www.stageachange.org. You can find a link to that website in the episode description. If you liked what you heard in that conversation with Cecily, you can listen to our other conversation called Diversity and Authenticity with Cecily Stovall on the Aside podcast. There are over 350 episodes of The Aside, and we've recently hit 90,000 listens. So thanks to all those people that made that possible, especially Drama Victoria. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, and of course, thank you for listening. You can contact us at any point at asidepodcast at outlook.com.